Come with us on a journey into the unknown, the unexplained, and the unbelievable. We will test your senses and challenge your beliefs. A world where science and religion clash. Or do they? You will meet real people and hear real stories, but you will not believe. You will witness strange sounds, but you will not believe. This is the New England Ghost Project. Welcome to the Good evening, everyone, and welcome to our new, what, what number is this? 19. 19th edition of Ghost Chronicles, the broadcast. No, the video broadcast. The video broadcast. Video broadcast. The live video broadcast. Right here on uh, EBC TV, <laughs> the uh, voice of the Bridgewater Triangle. <laughs> I am Ron Kolick, your host, the gatekeeper of the realm of the unknown, the unexplained, and the unbelievable New England's own Van Helsink. With me, of course, is the blonde librarian, <laughs> Ms. Ann Kerrigan. Well, good evening, everybody, and welcome to Ghost Chronicles Next Generation. 19. Number 19. Mm. Oh, wow. That's, I never thought we'd make it this far. That's like half the time I've been married. I know. You know, I was just going to say, and you know what? It's Ron and Jan's anniversary today. Yay! Right. So I'm out with you. Happy anniversary. There you go. So I'm out with you. Feet <laughs> she's out with me. I'm sorry, Jan. Mm -hmm. Actually, she's home with her feet up and, and, and having a drink. Really? What do you do? <laughs> she, she does that every night. If you were married to me, you'd drink every yeah, night, too. Yeah, probably. You know, mm, you know what I'm likely. saying? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But anyway, so, so uh, we've got a great show, and of course, this is my anniversary, May thirteenth. The lucky thirteen. Lucky thirteen. Right. How many years? Uh, it's gonna have to five, take his six, shoes off. Seven, in a eight, nine, ten. What comes after ten? Uh, a lot. Let's put it that way. A lot. A lot. Yeah. And I think we went out three years before I got married too. I think. I could be wrong. God bless her. Don't call you know, her St. Jan for nothing, folks. I'm telling it's, you. It's, you know what they say, for better or for worse. <laughs> oh, I know, I know, I know. Yep. You yep. know, so. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, it's kind of like our show. For better or for, for better worse. For better or for worse. <laughs> anyway, so 19, that's pretty cool, actually. And uh, they said it would never last. Who did? You. <laughs> when we started. <laughs> and now we're like, Wow, <laughs> we've defied the odds. Right. I mean, we've we've spent tons of money on the set. We have a beautiful we've angel. Spared no expense. Yeah, we have an angel. We no have no expense on we the have set. Actually, these lovely plants that I just brought in today. All right. I grew them myself. Yeah. I just want you to know that I've been trying to save the set for the last half an hour from Van Helsing. He has brought every prop out of the back room and tried to put it on the table in front of us. So. I was. I wanted to see. I wanted to open the show no. with with getting Sammy out here. See if we had Sammy, we could have done that. No, there's a board no, there's a feather, no. and, and you you raise no. him up. Did you ever do Sammy? Did you ever do that? No. Did you ever hear of it? No. Well, it's for you. Oh, it's like a slumber party do, game. Do you remember that? It's me. Oh yeah, you. Yes, it's she like said a you don't it's remember. like a lame slumber party game. Lame. Lame slumber party game. We're lame. not doing it. We're not doing it. So the, what's the theory behind it? Do you, you, do you remember how it works? Well, everybody, um, one person lays flat on the floor. Yep. And all the little sleepover girls 
gather around the victim, and everybody puts two fingers underneath the victim. Yep. And then um, you chant. You, you chant. Yep. And then you all convince yourselves that you are lifting the little girl off of the what floor. You mean convince? You actually can do it. By your fingertips. You do. Oh, you do. Not. Yes, you do. Stiff it's as a board, like a feather. Hey, we did this at no. at spectral evidence. It's group hypnosis. Spectral evidence. Really? We actually had requests from the audience. There was like a hundred people there. They wanted all the ghost hunting gear, all the ghost stuff. They wanted to do light as a feather, stiff as a board. Was there a 13-year-old girl in the audience think, by chance? I think I there mean, were a lot more than stiff uh, boards in the yeah, audience. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, 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 yeah you know yeah. what I'm saying? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> what? Well, speaking of stiff as a board, yeah, I think perhaps we would want to play our cemetery tripping. What do you think? So I have a dead cat in my backyard. Oh. Um. um what? Yeah. Yeah. It's it's sad. My uh, my son uh, had two cats. Oh yes. I'm yeah. sorry. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And uh, one of them died. So he came and buried it in my backyard. Oh. Mm -hmm. So now you get a little kitty grave. Cost him five hundred dollars. Oh my God. That's what I charged him. <laughs> <laughs> I wish. <laughs> All right. Can we go to cemetery tripping now All that right, we've heard about the dead cat? Do cemetery tripping. All right. Please rest. Please cemetery. Rescue me. Welcome to Cemetery Tripping, where I will feature a different cemetery in each episode that I hope you will seek out and enjoy as much as I do. As an avid taphophile, or lover of tombstones, I spend a lot of time in the local New England area in the beautiful and historic cemeteries we have here. The stones here are like no others, and I have literally thousands of pictures of the intricate and symbolic carvings found on them. You can see my pictures on Facebook by doing a search for Cemetery Tripping. Today I would like to bring you to the Holland Dean Cemetery, which is located in Rainham, Massachusetts. I recently visited this small family cemetery with my friends, the Gravestone Girls. Although small, this burial ground is filled with some of my favorite carvings, suns. The half-sun carving, which is the one I'm talking about today, can symbolize both the beginning and the end of life. It is also a symbol of heaven and the journey to heaven. These carvings can vary depending on the stone cutter, from having no eyes, to half eyes, to whole eyes, and sometimes even including a nose. The carver, or carvers, in this area have not been identified to my knowledge. I find these carvings mostly in southeastern Massachusetts, but on occasion I might run across one in a random area. In the Hall and Dean Cemetery, which has about 25 graves total, I counted six suns. This is a very high percentage in one area. While many of the stones in this graveyard are weather-beaten and covered with lichen, there were still many carvings visible. One stone in particular, that of Captain Jonathan Shaw, has a sun with both eyes fully visible, and the epitaph reads, Who died of apoplexy November 26, 1796, in ye 65th year of his age. His wife died 15 years before him with the same disorder. I always love stones that tell the story. In the 1700s, apoplexy would have referred to any sudden death that began with the loss of consciousness, 
especially one in which the victim died within a matter of seconds after losing consciousness. Heart attacks and strokes, or even aneurysms, would have been the most likely culprit at that time. There is one lonely soul effigy in this cemetery, and no death's heads to be found at all. The difference between these two styles of carvings are that the first is a cherubic head or lifelike face with wings, and the second is a skull with wings. If you are out and about exploring in the Rainham area, this is a great little cemetery directly off Route 138. It won't take you long to visit, but never fear, there is another cemetery directly across the street to explore. Happy cemetery tripping, my friends. And what that? Wow, that, that was so exciting. <laughs> Ron loves my cemeteries. That is a really cool cemetery, though. Nice. It's little. It's, it's very close, you know, to where we are. Um, lots of rocks in it. Lots of rocks. But seriously, yeah, there's never, I never find as many uh, sun carvings anywhere as I have in that one itty-bitty cemetery. Why so is that? Go there. I don't know. There must have just been... Um, the, the thing that you see a lot of in, in older cemeteries is, I mean, was the carver local, you know, and you also... So he was the only one in town that you, was all he, he could He might do. have been the yeah. only game in town, but... It was his only stencil. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but you also want to keep up with the Joneses, you know. Right. And also... Um, My sunstone's bigger than your sunstone. It's a, right. Mm -hmm. and, it, and it's a family cemetery. So what happens is they, they tend to... To stay in that theme, you know, mm -hmm. well, you know, dad had a son, so now mom's buried there. Well, now the kids each have to have a son, you know, so it just kind of carries forward. And the so, son had a son. Um, it, they do, yeah, yeah. They, so, they tend to stick with a theme. That's amazing. So, but they're my favorites. Speaking about rocks. Talking about rocks, okay? We would like to introduce tonight's guest, and uh, he's big into rocks <laughs> and a lot of other oddities and things like that and uh, we would like to welcome Derek Gunn from Amazing Massachusetts. Yay! How are you? Hi, hi, hi Ron. I'm great, thanks. I'm great. That's awesome. Usually we have a studio and audience but they're not I here. I know. Nate's not here tonight. We but miss him. I see like him. three or four ghosts. <laughs> the spirit of me. Mm. So, but, uh, Tell us a little bit about Mr. Uh, Gunn. Well, uh, Derek is um, a friend of mine and known him for That's many years. That's two points against Wow. Oh, Thanks, Ron. <laughs> nice. Um, and has done some fascinating work with, um, you know, geological stuff um, and other oddities in the yeah, New England area. Basically the Bay State. I keep it kind of focused in. Mm -hmm. You're right. It's, you know, obviously it's New England, but it's... Um, just so I didn't end up in Vermont every other weekend, <laughs> decided like 20 years ago just to keep it on the Bay State. It was just a very arbitrary. What if it's just like right on the border? Would you climb over? Oh, I would. And I've been to things in like, you know, I've been to America Stonehenge, for example. Good I was going to ask you that because that's right yeah. by my yeah. neck of the woods. And I would never leave that out, believe me. Okay. Um, <laughs> it's such a great site. And I believe I'm correct in saying at one point, that that was part of Massachusetts. So Massachusetts was larger. It had parts of Maine and, and oh, New Massachusetts back in the day. owned Maine. Yeah, right. So right. I think even like say Salem, New Hampshire, at one point Ooh, was part of Massachusetts. I would be careful about that. No. Oh, okay. no, well, for no, when you're out of town, Salem, or right. well, yeah. <laughs> let's 
well, anyway. because this side of the line now. But I mean, it's very arbitrary, especially where my stuff a lot focuses on prehistoric enigmas. Mm -hmm. So obviously, in you know, in the prehistoric uh, era, the time that, that the you know Native Americans and things and Vikings maybe coming over, there, there was no demarcation of the base date. Right. But just like I said, so I didn't end up in like. Rutland of Vermont, I just, it was a very <laughs> arbitrary decision one day. I just said, you know, I'm going to see what's in my state because I grew up in Marshfield. Mm -hmm. And there are all these towns of have even, I mean, there's all the, you know, Florida, Massachusetts, and, you know, um, all, all that stuff out, you know, past Worcester. Right. That, unless you go out once in a while when you're a kid, maybe with your parents, but shy of that, unless you grow up there, I mean, there's a lot of cool stuff out that way that I was like, what's in Massachusetts? So, Derek, if somebody wanted to look at some of your work, where, do you have a website? I have AmazingMassachusetts.com, um, and uh, that's a little bit of a work in progress, I have to tell you. When you go there, you'll see a lot of neat pictures. I think people find interest, and they'll probably say, wow, I didn't realize all these archaeological and geological things were so close to me. But having said that, um, I really want to, um, in the next couple of months, beef up the text. Um, there's, there's not a lot to right. read. Uh, <laughs> sometimes you get a little protective about your stuff, you know, right. before you put it out there in a book, say, or whatever. Not protective, but you just feel like... Um, I don't know, I guess I shouldn't be because it's all on the internet now anyways and shared stuff. But, uh, <laughs> but years ago when you were writing a book or something, you know, you kind of would right. kind of hold on to your stuff a little bit until you put it really as a package. Right. Um, but I am going to work on that. And for people who have been to my site, um, I hope to, that the next time they come, there'll be new stuff. I try to add to it here. There are new sites I've been to. or yeah, It's a hard, hard job to do, keep it updated. Oh, well, yeah. you guys know with your weekly your stu and all oh, the stuff absolutely. you do, it's, it's, you, yeah. it's material, you got to fill it up with material. So what got you started down this path of, um, it's, I mean, it's, it's, it's like a fringe paranormal thing, yeah. I think. Yeah. Um, what started you down this path of, of research? There are two main things. One is, ever since I could remember, I was always, I always veered towards those kind of books in the library as a kid, even in like elementary school. I mean, when I was a kid, uh, In Search Of was on. Mm -hmm. um, my awesome. parents had those little paperback Ripley's Believe It or Not books. Oh. And of course, in the, in the <laughs> right. 80s, you had the, the other Ripley's Believe It or Not TV show. Uh, that's incredible. All those kind of shows. I always gravitated. I think in the Dewey Decimal System, it's like 001. <laughs> it's right in the front by computers and things. Oddities, you know. Mm -hmm. And uh, But what got me into the fringe archaeology is kind of a neat thing because it's kind of family-based um, or it's, it's personal. Uh, in 1987, I bought a book called The Highland Clans for my dad. You've mm -hmm. met my dad, I think, once or twice. Yes. And um, I, before I wrapped it up for Christmas, uh, I looked at the chapter, I looked at a section that had the clan gun stuff because there was a page for the McGregors, the Keiths, the McCoy, you know. So I went to the clan gun page just to read it before I wrapped it up. And it, down in the footnote, it said that there was a carving in Westford, Mass, that seemed to be uh, have the shield, uh, the, the coat of arms of... Clan gun mm -hmm. carved on a rock in Westwood, Mass. And it said in or about 1395. And I honestly wow. thought it was a typo because it didn't make any sense to me just going to high school here and what we learned about normal history. Right. There shouldn't be any European people in 1395. I thought it meant they meant 1895 or something, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> so I, in 87, I got interested in this thing of this case of the Westford Knight. And to tell you the truth, I didn't immediately get up to Westford. It actually took me five years because I was more, in 87, I was more into music. I was into other things, heavy, mm -hmm. heavier. You know, <laughs> so um, in '92 I made it up to Westford. I met with Virginia Kimball, Norman yep. Bigart, Bill Collins, some of the Westford Night Committee. And actually, I think in a sense it was Virginia Kimball who kind of got me going about the fringe rock stuff because she said, "Well, Derek, you realize this isn't isolated, right? There's America's Stonehenge, there's Dighton Rock, and she named a f I can't remember what she said, but she named a few things of that ilk, you know. Mm -hmm. And um, 
oh, okay, Dighton Rock, right, America, Stonehenge. So this, you know, this kind of where the smoke is fire. There seems to be a whole bunch of these kind of things. Um, and some of them aren't that far. I mean, you know, Dighton Rock, that's not a bad jaunt from Marshall. I mean, it's not right next door, but it's not far. Right. It's in the same state. It's yeah. not, you know, 45-minute yeah. trip or something. So I started going to some of these sites in the early 90s, around 92, 93. I was heavily into it. And, of course, in 92, we had the 500th for Columbus Mm-hmm. So I was in the local paper in Marshfield a couple times because I was doing my Prince Henry Sinclair research, and that was, uh, you know, that was before, that was 1492. Well, we're going back down to 1398, eighty. Right. So it's about 94 years before Columbus. So, well, they all, so they always said, well, the Vikings were here first. Right. Right. So is that what's behind the Westford Whoa, Knight? Wait, 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 wait. What do you mean the Vikings are here first? Well, first, the, the who? We don't know who was well, first. Discovered. I mean, discovered. they say the Phoenicians were here first. Yeah, it gets it, yeah. it gets yeah. kind of like that. It, yeah. Well, who it's, really knows? Was it Irish Caldy monks? No. Was it Irish Caldy monks? Was it Phoenicians before that? Mm. Uh, there might even be Roman evidence in the New World, right. believe it or not. And Interesting uh, thing, you said Irish monks. One um, of the when I first got doing the Ghost Project thing, right? We we did an investigation of America Stonehenge. In fact, we were the first group to stay on the main site overnight. And uh, I worked with a uh, uh, Franciscan monk at the time, mm-hmm. and also was a Native American who was a professor uh, at the University of Lowell. And uh, they they came with us that time. And the uh, Franciscan actually, we all heard this noise, and then we looked, and then he swore he saw a, a procession of monks climbing the hill, just oh the, walking up the hill, not climbing, but walking up the hill. Wow. But just for a brief second, it just disappeared. It was a strange thing. It was a lot of things Apparitional procession. Yeah, procession. And, and, and there are other cases like that, I believe, yeah. especially this, the flavor of that reminds me of something you'd hear in like England or Wales or something. I, this, yeah. the, <laughs> the, mm-hmm. I think that's a case similar to that where people have seen. America Stonehenge, of course, is, is such a, a mess. You used mm-hmm. to call it Mystery Hill because it is a mystery because it was destroyed and rebuilt and not totally destroyed, but they stole rocks from it and yes. did this, and they put it back the way they thought it was. And, and what, really, yeah, Goodwin. William Goodwin, he, yeah. he, he, he lifted rocks up and, and moved things a little bit. Yeah, so yeah. Some of it was carted off for curbstone or something. Yeah, oh, oh, something. So was the yeah, houses yeah, A good yeah. portion of it was taken away, they believe. Yeah, yeah. That's that. awful. So, I mean, there's a lot of stuff, even though we have something there, we don't know a lot about it. In fact, when I had the uh, the uh, professor from the University of Lowell, he took me there on the equinox. It was in February. It was freaking freezing. <laughs> and we had to be there for dawn. Okay, so oh he took me to this God. stupid stone stone little hut. How cold was it at dawn? It was cold. Stone hut. And we had to go in the hut and then lay down and then the... The sun rays came up and the little bean came flying in, just like an Indiana Jones in the little staff. <laughs> yes. Oh, man. The old astronomical considerations. Oh, yeah. wow. was, it, was it Professor McLeod? Yeah, absolutely. Roger McLeod. Yeah. Yep. Uh-huh. Is he alive still? I have no clue. That wow. was many, many moons ago. Wow. Yeah, he was a, he was an interesting. I went on a couple field trips with him. He was a great yeah. guy. I hope he is. He stole he, my Magnolite, by the way. <laughs> I hope he's still alive. I think Never he had some it. heart condition. I hope he's still okay. Now, we have... Um, His son was doing his work, too. We have a couple pictures of the Westford Knight. Okay. Did, did we want to go? I just want to say, when you said the, the Vikings first, um, mm-hmm. what's funny is, real quick, little connection, the, this Norse, the Scottish voyage of 1398, these guys were from the Orkney Islands, you know, right above Scotland and stuff. Mm-hmm. And 
there's a connection with Norway there. First of all, the, the Highland clans, like my name, Gunn, is, act, is, is a Scots name, but mm-hmm. it's actually, if you research, it goes back to like Norwegian. Oh. Like Gunnarsson, Gunnbjorn, these uh-huh. longer names. Uh-huh. You've seen like Gunnarsson. Right. So, the, in a sense, the Westford Knight, we say it's like a Scottish expedition, but if you look in Barry Fell's work, he calls it Norse-Scots. Oh. It's at the tail okay. end. It's there's a connection. Prince Henry Sinclair was made a prince by the Queen of Norway. Mm-hmm. Mm. In fact, Northern Scotland is called Sutherland. And why is the north of Scotland called Sutherland? Because <laughs> it was the southernmost extremity of the Norwegian Kingdom at one point. Oh. So there's a very strong okay. Nordic, uh, Nordic connection to, to Highland clans and stuff. There's mm-hmm. a lot of, even like I said in my own name, there's that connection where it's tied together. So it's funny you mention about the Vikings because. 398 years later, you have this what's considered a Scottish voyage, but there is a connection there. Wow. Yeah. There you go. Wow. And they could have, and maybe Prince Henry Sinclair and yeah. various people knew about it because of family links and things mm-hmm. like that. And once again, that's all in controversy as well. It's not right. as, as etched in stone as it is. But, you know, so, it, but, so the, the basically the Westford Knight is it's something that shouldn't, that shouldn't be there. Right? Well, if it is what people are claiming, well, it that's is. not necessarily true because no. Well, I mean historically, in other words, if it is yeah. if it is what some people who proponents of it claim it is, mm-hmm. then yes, it's an archaeological anomaly. It should not theoretically be there. Oh, we have a uh, we have a question from the chat room, oh. and uh, has Derek ever found evidence of simultaneous events from around history that link different countries? through archaeological finds from the same time period. That's from Stephen Scott, our friend okay. in Scotland. Okay. Have I ever found evidence it's, of it's scientific events from our history that link different we're countries? All looking, we're all looking at the teleprompter. Through, <laughs> through archaeological finds. Um, we I, I think what you're saying, because there are, there are certain structures, like you know some of the structures that are in uh, America's Stonehenge can be found in Europe and can be found in England okay. as well. So if that's yeah, okay, if I think I'm, that's I'm reading that correctly. Then why words, Stephen Scott is Scottish, by the way, oh. so he, he's all over you. I like him already. <laughs> uh, no, I mean I'm thinking, like say for the Upton Chamber. Now the Upton Chamber um, in, in in Upton, I believe we have a, a picture of that. Um, we can get to um, James Maver and Byron Dix wrote Manitou felt it had strong, definite, and, and you know, J- James Maver, I th- really think, knew what he was talking about. He said it f- had strong affinities with with corbelled um, beehive structures in an island. What's funny is, and this gets into my trickster-type research, there's always, like, some good evidence, but then there's always, like, a, like a problem. And mm-hmm. the problem is uh-huh. the ones in Ireland and in Upton are, are different. They're slightly they're different scale. Ah. They're not, I think the ones in Ireland are bigger than the one Upton, if I have that correct. Should we but, put um, that picture? Do we, we want to put the picture? Yeah, let's put up the Upton um, one. Look at the it Upton says one. Upton, uh, yeah. Russ. This is a surprise. And I, is, I know. <laughs> and this is a great chamber now for people who are watching the show. You can go to this because it's now a town park in Upton. And, and, really? And, and kudos oh. to the town of Upton for saving this chamber. That's cool. And so look at the size inside there. I mean, look at architecturally. How far is that for us? I'm not sure. There Upton, you go. It's, 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 it's getting over to, towards the Worcester area and stuff. But okay. it's a great, I mean, that's Road a great trip. chamber. Now, it, it, there's an actual picture, like a real picture of it, not a, a drawing. Is I, there? Do I we don't have think I have the no. photo oh, okay. now. But, but I right. went there in October. There was a meeting in Upton, um, and it was sort of an update uh, on the stat- uh, research and stuff. And it's funny because the, the pre-Columbian enigma type angle of the Upton chamber is now sort of passe. 
Like if you like when they went there, they went well. There's the Irish Caldy Monk thing, and that the, you know they, it was kind of like you know it's like it's it, things come and well you talk Caldy about Monk. You I'm trying to think when you were saying something earlier about things come and go with fashions. Like it's it, mm-hmm. oh keep up with the Joneses with the sun symbol. Oh right right. right. Yeah. Now at one point maybe 1976 it was probably very fashionable to say see this is Irish Caldy Monks they were here in 700 AD and this is a good example. And and now that seems sort of like yeah it's like almost quaint you know they they think it's maybe it's Native American or maybe it's a eccentric farmer or something but but um, to answer that question I think that that chamber might be an example of what he's talking about have I seen um, across countries similar things um, that make you wonder if there's a connection there a simultaneous right, exactly right. and and I think the Upton Chamber might be an example of that mm-hmm. you know yeah. but it's funny like I said there's always like a problem right. I'll give you another example there's a thing called a Thor's hammer. Right, uh-huh. and there are Thor's hammers. They're these little. Um, they're probably like medallions or something, but you know they're found over where you'd expect them, right? Well, there were there were these uh, a couple of them, two or three of them, I think, found in Connecticut. Oh. But guess what? Wrong size. Oh. <laughs> they don't fit the pattern of the kind of. Uh-huh. They look right in most senses. Yeah. But size-wise, there's a problem. You know. Oh. They, so the uh, you know. So you wonder about these things. Um, See, that's those, the interesting thing those about those knockoffs you know? from China. Those knockoffs. <laughs> <laughs> Every once in a while, and, and, you know. Sometimes, yeah. Do you know, guys? Know something? Sometimes you'll find evidence, and you think it's one thing, and it leads you a totally different direction. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, up in, um, I want to say in 1787, up in roughly the Malden area, mm-hmm. they were digging for a roadway, and they found a cache of Arabic coins. And so you'll find websites that say, "See, the the Arabs were, you know, seafaring and stuff like that." But what you find out also is that in Scandinavia, you find caches of Arab coins that the Vikings went into the Mediterranean right. outside uh, the Straits of Gibraltar and also through various rivers mm-hmm. to the Black Sea type area. And you find caches of uh, Arabic coins in Scandinavia. Yep. So this piece <laughs> of evidence in America for early oceanic travel, it might actually be Viking, not Arab, yep. although when you first found it, you would think... right. Right, See, right. So, so, yeah, so you don't know. I mean, yeah, well, you know, who knows how it got there? Exactly. Right? You, you get yeah. looted. You loot a place. You get some coins, right? You then you trade with somebody else from yeah. France or something, and then they go and trade it to somebody else, and next thing you know, it's somewhere else. Yeah. And, yeah. and you say, oh look, there's evidence that the Arabs exactly. were here, but not necessarily. Did, now you guys know it's like the seven seven degrees of Kevin Bacon. Well, it's like there is actually a Viking penny. That was found in 1957 in Maine, mm-hmm. in an Indian midden, in a mound, shell mound. Oh. Right. So here's a pretty good evidence of of contact. But people who are naysayers to transatlantic contact say it went from hands, you know, through Inuit in Greenland, mm-hmm. where we know the Vikings were in Greenland, and then it came down and was traded, like mm-hmm. you said, um, because um, people like to trade know. things. Yeah. The interesting yeah. thing about uh, all of this. Uh, research that's being done and not only in what you do but also ufologists and everything else mm-hmm. if you watch their things they always like if you see any ancient aliens you must have seen on his right oh, they, yeah. they're right it's always got to be ancient aliens that whatever they take they always whatever evidence they found it's always pointed to that way although there might be other alternative explanations yeah. for it people pick what they want and right. use it for their yeah. proof, and which is interesting. I mean, that's what is. That's why I love this stuff because it is controversial. Yeah. You know, there's what if, what if, you know, mystery. The, the word mystery. That's mm-hmm. what it's all about. Yeah. So well, let's go back to the Westford night because okay. I've been there many times. Okay. And I'm 
it's funny because you and I evidently know the same people. I mean, you know, yeah. Professor McLeod and then uh, Kemble from the uh, one of my first radio shows that I did on uh, WCCM. We went and actually in Ghost Village and we uh, interviewed this All woman right. for Wednesday uh, night. We took. Yeah, we uh, did. You ever see the stone itself? Yeah. Oh, yes. Yep. How was it then? Oh, it's very hard to see. It is hard yeah. to see. Yeah. I mean, it's the sword part of it you can see quite well. Um, there's a theory that the person who it was probably done with someone with a punch, mm -hmm. in that the punch got dull, so that when he started doing, say for example, the sword, he was doing quite well. And then <laughs> there were many probably miles from the ship and didn't have and had probably had limited tools. Uh -huh. And so as he started going along, okay, not my my tools kind of getting dull here. Maybe I should work on the shield a little bit and the face a little. So he, the other theory too is that the sword is um, allegedly looks like it's broken in the middle. Which indicates death in battle. So, in 1398. Oh, here we go. Here we got a picture. Oh, yeah, one of it. So picture, picture. Um, it's a little squishy. Sorry. Yeah, guys. it's kind of flattened out. That's okay. <laughs> but um, in, you know, maybe things turned ugly with the Native Americans. I mean, picture these. You know, the Scots. They're pretty tough people. The Native mm -hmm. Americans. They're tough people too. You know, and they don't speak the same language. I mean, imagine how trying to get things across. You know, in days when there were. There wasn't a translator could whip around the corner and say, hey, put this into Scott's right, Gaelic right, right now. Right, right. So things might have turned ugly quickly. You know, Imagine um, how just one gesture or something, someone took it wrong or something. So they mm -hmm. think that the, the, there's, there's, a, there's a theory that the, the, the Westford Knight, that individual, if he was Sir James Gunn or whoever he was, that the Westford Knight died here on, that, on Prospect Hill in Westford. And mm -hmm. that little mark across the middle of the sword indicates death in battle. Right. Wow. So, now, you know. the interesting thing about it, too, is that if you go see it. Now, I, I took Steve Parson when he came over with us, mm -hmm. and we went down there, and went, all we had was a board over it because it's really in bad shape now. Yeah. Um, and the reason why, it's because it's on the side of a road. It's not like 50 uh, feet from the side of the road. It's uh -huh. right on the yeah. side right of the road. Think is. about all the years of all oh. the, the road salt. Even if they don't salt it, just from the wheels and, mm -hmm. and yeah. cars and everything else. Yeah. And yeah. it's on a hill, yeah. so you have erosion as well. Um, acid rain. Or whatever. Yeah, acid rain, like, all that stuff. Yeah. And, and, the, and they found another one. They found the boat stone up there, too, yes. as well. Yep. Which it's is, in the J.B. Fletcher Library. Yep. Uh, they sent that to Minnesota last time I had talked to him. I don't know what the results were from when it came back from Minnesota. Yeah, uh, with Scott Walter and, and, and all that. Yeah, it, it's back, I think. Yeah. But, um, I think he felt that the um, that it was that you know again he could, you know it's not something you carbonate right. right. You can't mm -hmm. carbonate stone. So I think that I, as I recall, his conclusions was that it was fairly old. Whatever that means. I mean, I think he he thought that it was. And it was—it seems to have been created in the same fashion as the Western Knight, you know, dot by dot. It's not carved in. When you picture a carving, if I took a knife to this table, I wouldn't. But if you carve something, it's made. This, the Western Knight is made. It's punch marked. It's made dot wow. by dot. And so it's is the boat stone. Thing. The boat stone yeah. is made uh, yeah. dot by dot. And, but the boat stone's in much better shape. And um, yeah, what? I mean, you can see it much clearer. And, you know, the Western Knight. I think it's—it uh, might be the winter. There's a certain time of year you can go, and when the sun's setting and you get more of a raking angle, mm -hmm. it's a little better. Mm -hmm. You know, if you go there like on a June day and the sun's high overhead, it's hard Forget to see. It. You know, yeah. if you take a flashlight to it at night and you get a raking angle, right, um, or some, you know, something like that, mm -hmm. you can see detail a little better. But I mean, I don't think it was ever a full-fledged carving like the way they would do a lid on a coffin in Scotland at that time period. You know, if you're an important person, right. mm -hmm. I think they were trying to whip out like a quick version mm -hmm. of, you know, you, you know, they weren't going to put this guy in ice and bring him back to Orkney Island. You know, somebody yeah. died, and at that time yeah. it was customary. And 
I think the Westford Knight is a genuine inscription of some sort. I mean, um, Scott Walter thinks it's just a sword. He doesn't see the face or the shield or anything. Oh. It's, it, um, if you go to the museum there, they, they have a little museum you can go mm -hmm. visit. Yeah. And they have a couple of uh, photographs where they actually use dye on it and stuff, and you could you can see really good. In fact, that would uh, make sense. Yeah. I think I have one on Ghost Village. If you go to the Ghost Chronicles on Ghost Village on the episode, mm -hmm. I have that photograph, and you can see it very clearly. The knight, the shield. There's another little thing. I forget what it is now, though. Uh, there's something in the corner or whatever it is. But is it almost like a little banner or something? I forget what something. it is. I really do, Derek. Mm -hmm. That was a long time ago. But wow. uh, it's it's an interesting thing. Well, do you know what's wild about coincidence and about synchronicity? I should say. Um, meaningful coincidences is that, th and I tell this to people, especially people who come from Marshfield like I do, there may be a shipwreck from this voyage. Can you imagine that? And oh. it might be off of, it, it's, there's possibly a shipwreck off of Brant Rock. Oh, that and would be awesome. Yeah, 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 because imagine if you could get some wood from that shipwreck or and show that there was a European vessel here mm -hmm. 600 years before. Mm. Now, um, the, the only book I've ever spotted it in is... Um, well, he's not with us anymore. Robert Ellis Cahill, who wrote those, you know, those little books, uh, Bob Cahill up oh in Salem. Oh, my God. <laughs> you don't have him tell you? <laughs> when I started the Ghost Project, uh, one of the first guys I talked to was Bob Cahill. Bob Cahill. And Bob Cahill uh, was the one that connected me with Brian the Monk, who was the Franciscan monk, because he oh, used to do all the photography uh, for, his, for, for, for his little... Uh, uh, what was it? Salt, Salt Box Publishers. Yeah. I still have some of those uh, Those books. books are great books. Yeah. Well, you know, they're not the most scholarly book in the world in a sense. <laughs> I mean, I think like if you write a college paper, the person might be like, you know, yeah. you know, get a different reference. Maybe, Bad which is, source. I mean, I don't, I think, I think he was wonderful for what he did. I, I really do. He's almost like, to me, in a sense, like, um, oh, who's the flying Santa, the guy in Marshfield who would, um, Edward Snow. Yeah. 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 He really wrote a lot of local stuff. I mean, you know, thank God in a way these people got all that stuff together, put that info out. But, because I wouldn't even know about the shipwreck or the shield that came, from, uh, I gotta tell you about the shield too, but, um, there, it's from, it's from his book, New England's Ancient Mysteries in 1993. And I was quite startled. I bought that book at America's Stonehenge. Mm -hmm. I was up there with my then wife, Susan, and, and our daughter, Alexandra, and, uh, and on the ride home, she was driving. I'll never forget. Uh, you know, it almost gives me goose pimples. But I opened up the book, and it had a whole chapter. It was called The Great Stone Knight. It was all about the Westford Knight. Oh. And it said that there was a, it said the only uh, conceivable man-made object that's associated with this um, appears to have been this bronze or some kind of metallic shield that was dredged up off the shallows off of Ma Brant Rock by a lobsterman in 1954. Uh -huh. Well, my grandfather was a lobsterman in 1954 on Brant Rock. I mean, oh. it just coincidentally, he was a, a lobsterman and he was a police right. officer. But he started the year before, mm -hmm. in 53, he started a lobster. So he didn't remember this case at all. I was hoping maybe he knew the guy who pulled it up. Oh, that would have been cool. There was a shield that's yeah. in Cahill's book. The whereabouts are now unknown, naturally. The thing's grown legs and disappeared out oh, of some museum no. or something. Is this something... Did we have a picture of the shield, too? I don't think I had you, the you, I, you knew you, I knew you'd sent me something. I wasn't sure if it was a shield. Okay. okay. Sorry. Uh, yeah, I wish I had. <laughs> I should have sent that one to, to put up on the screen. But, uh, well, uh, you can either look at Amazing Massachusetts under Unusual Artifacts. Okay, what do we have here? Or... That's a picture of the Western... Oh, Street. that's... Oh, the yeah, that's the sword, right? And Or you can... Um, yep, it's yeah. a close-up of the sword. Or you can um, basically go to Bo find Bob Kelhill's book... Bob Kale's book, uh, New England's Ancient Mysteries from 93. Okay. Oh. So the shield is, it's around. I mean, I have it on my website if you want to see it. Sure. Um, question from the chat. Do the, any mm. of the carvings have inscriptions or runes, and have they been translated? Okay, in terms of actual runes, the only s strong suspect I can think of is um, uh, the guy who wrote the book that, uh, the guy who came up with um, uh, baking uh, soda, the... Uh, Horsfell, um, 
trying to think. His daughter was Cornelia. <laughs> I can't think of her. It's like, uh, I'm at a loss right now. Sorry, guys. It's like, That's okay. well, she found a stone, okay? She wrote a book about it. And she was in a carriage or something or on horseback or something. And she saw a farmer with a pile of stones. And she, and she spotted one. It was in Weston, Mass. In Weston, Mass. Uh-huh. And she bought the stone and she wrote a book. I think the book's called An Inscribed Stone. Her her father was the guy who 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 thought Leif Erikson was on the River Charles, you know if you go um, uh, up in Boston near near um, the Boston guy, uh, Common, mm-hmm. there's that statue of Leif Erikson. You ever seen that? He looks mm-hmm. very young. It's very no, I don't think you know, I've seen okay. that. Okay, well at each end at each, at each end of that long, um, it's not Newbury Street. It's like the next street over. I can't. I'm really flanking. <laughs> right. Well, you know where the that, like green, not not Boston Common, but uh-huh. when you're on one of those side streets with all mm-hmm. the brick buildings, and right. it's, it's it's adjacent to Newbury Street. I'm okay, really, not Common. It's no. Well. Yeah, but I know what you mean. Yeah. Well, on that green, it, there's a statue at each end, and one of them's a very thin, kind of waifish uh, Leif Erikson. He's kind of looking out, mm-hmm. and it's not how I picture Leif Erikson <laughs> in the tip. But anyways, um, there was a gentleman who was obsessed with the idea that uh, Leif Erikson was up went up the River Charles. And he found he actually found sort of a strange stonework uh, in uh, it's either Watertown or Cambridge. Mm-hmm. And he wrote a book um, about he wrote, I think he wrote a couple of books. But his daughter actually found a rune stone. I mean, it, to me, when I see it, what's diagnostic to me is the R has that very angular, jagged yeah. part. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And at mm-hmm. the end of this little phrase is that dot dot. Ah. Now I don't you know I'm not I, I'm very interested in runes, but I'll tell you straight up I am not an expert at runes. Mm-hmm. But to me, the flavor of it was wow, that looks genuine. And I mean, is that a hoax? Why would, you know, would mm. some farmer carve that right before well, some lady who's totally into it come by to buy it? I mean, I don't think so. But I think it was no, a genuine... In reality, though, I mean, th- there are uh, oh, people out there who do uh, that type of stuff. I mm-hmm. mean, they actually do hoaxes. Oh, yeah. Uh, there's oh, quite a few true. of them. I, oh, yeah. I remember watching, this, there's a new show out last year on, on the Giants. And they went and investigated because supposedly these giants are everywhere. Oh. And uh, they. Uh, Jim Vieira, right? They, yeah. yeah. They investigated uh, this place and they f- they found out that the, the carvings and everything were all fake. Oh, they were actually geez. things. But so, oh. so there was. Well, it happened to Scott Walter, too, on a show where yeah. he, um, uh, he was in Pennsylvania and someone uh, showed him an inscription and it was. Uh, he could tell with his uh, looking very closely at it that um, they had, like, I don't know what they did. They probably like rubbed. They tried to age it. They artificially uh, tried yeah, to age yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Scott Walter was right Maybe on that. Maybe that's the one I saw, I think. Maybe yeah. that one might be. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, so, yeah. well, that gets into, if we talk later, maybe about trickster stuff. Um, mm. That relates to that because the fields that I'm interested in, ufology, for example, rife with hoaxes and fakery, um, uh, the fringe archaeology stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, right. I mean, archaeology, that people plant things in mounds, supposedly, oh, and all yeah. kind, it's gone on and on. Right. It drives me crazy because I'm trying to get to the bottom of truth. Uh-huh. That's one thing I'll say about Amazing Massachusetts that, uh, as an idea for a book or whatever, just in my own research, is I, the hoax stuff drives me crazy because it's <laughs> like I'm trying, to get, I'm trying to find definitive evidence of something, you know? Yeah. And you don't need this stuff muddling up the water. It's the same thing in the paranormal. I mean, people... Exactly. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Make all kinds of stuff people, up, people whatever. Stuff it's up. it's we, just the way it is, unfortunately. We did Good. have a shout-out from the chat room that it is on Comav. That, that, uh, statue? The statue. Thank you. Comav. You yeah, know what? it's Comav. Thank you yeah. very much, whoever. Okay. Because uh, sometimes, you know, you're uh, juggling things in your mind. You kind of thought it might yeah. be. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Comav at the end of the you'll see Leif Erikson and... Uh, 
and uh, it, you know there are people who think he went up the river, the Charles River. Um, someone is asking about: Have there any been inscriptions that have been translated? Well, I can say this: Dighton Rock, for example, if we can mm-hmm. look at Dighton Rock. Oh my God! Uh, Dighton Rock is over <laughs> something like 23 or 25 theories as to who wrote on that, exactly. from right. Phoenicians to the. Oh, here we go. Yeah, there's. Dighton we have, Rock. A, we have a few pictures of Dighton yeah, Rock. Yeah, I mean the Portuguese yeah. theory, um, the the Viking, um, and. Native American, and uh, but everybody from Jesus to Satan has been invoked <laughs> since 1680 to now. Seriously, I mean, there are theories yeah. that that it's uh, the Chinese, that it's the, the that it's the Assyrians, mm-hmm. and every, there you go. Yeah, and uh, these are old. Okay, that's a, a wonderful. Yeah, old I, I love Dighton Rock. I, up. Yeah. I think Dighton Rock is such a great uh, example of of the kind of thing I'm into. Really, it's just such a wonderful. That's you you can go see it. There's Ron. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that, that, these are really early pictures. Nice, like, daguerre, these like daguerreotype type pictures. <laughs> or something. Um, the the thing about Titan Rock is it's such a mishmash of lines, and um, you know um, people ha- people come from their own slant. You know, right. really they bring their own kind well, of. That's what I was Stonehenge. talking about before. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Uh, people bring their own. Um, that was um, uh, Delabar's problem with it. The only thing I find funny about Delabar is who wrote the book Dighton Rock and I think 26, 1926, was that he basically spends most of the book saying that people, you know, he's a professor of psychology, I believe, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and he said most people bring their own perception sort of right. prior, prior mm-hmm. to the thing. But then at the end, you know, he, 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 he says, well, it's a Portuguese thing from 1511 and he spots all things that confirm that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So he kind of almost does what he says everyone else does. Right. <laughs> human course. nature type stuff, and, you know? And so Dighton Rock... Um, when did they when did they discover Dighton Rock? Dighton Rock was goes. It was Dighton Rock was is no, was known at least as far as 1680. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure who the very first person to see it was, but people uh, Reverend Danforth uh, very early on people made drawings of Dighton Rock, and um, and and you know again talking about the sun thing and, and flavors and you know various theories come and go. You know um, there was a guy who was writing back and forth with Benjamin Franklin. Mm-hmm. And he was advocating, he was in France, and he was advocating um, that it was a Phoenician inscription. He had a whole, God, he had a whole story about it was telling this big, great big tale. I don't know how he got all that out of that mishmash of lines. But, <laughs> but then, of course, the Norse around the 1840s, you know, there was strong Viking mania going on. And so uh, people thought it was um, Thorfinn and that they, they could see uh, runes in it. Um, yeah. A lot of these ancient scripts share symbols. Mm-hmm. You know, right. an X-like figure is—it's in our script, right? It's right. in the Latin, right? And mm-hmm. you know how many ancient? Go look in book of ancient scripts. An X-like thing is in like, and sometimes it's not an X sound. It could be a D or something. Mm-hmm. Right, it could be a right. T. And so it gets very hard to Circus. do translations. And um, but I think that um, when the person asked about have there been some translated, there have been several stones in Massachusetts and around New England translated, but. Is it accurate? Well, it's, it's all a scholarly guessing game. Right. You know, right. it's it's. Uh, did you did you ever think like maybe it's just graffiti? Like everybody who came and saw the rock and said, "Oh hey, they put this on the rock." Right. For, we have to leave our uh, mark on I, the rock. For, okay. For a good you know, time call. get us the. <laughs> yeah, you know. Well, before they so, took Dighton uh, Rock out of the river, you know, it was in the river until maybe '63. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I bet you 1962 is carved on that. Yeah, yeah, I you know, know right? With a pen knife on a canoe, was on a canoe. No kidding. I mean, Mary loves Johnny. I mean, it's on there, probably. You know, it's on who's there. to say that that's that there is maybe there is everything all over Dighton Rock because everybody left their mark. You yeah. know, then again, I, maybe it's, not. It's, it's, I might. She, well, my if you take the mod graffiti out, I'm going to say that was a good one. Yeah, I'm glad. Thank I'm going to say the modern stuff. Good, I am happy. Thanks, the historic, Russ. If you take the historic stuff out, you know, yep. 
like like someone going by with a canoe and writing 1926 right. or something like that. Yeah. My opinion of Dayton Rock is that um, I know in the Bridgewater Triangle movie, for example, Chris, our friend Chris Pittman, mm-hmm. says he feels that those marks were made by Native Americans in the ancient time, past. I think there are, there is some script on on Dighton Rock. There's a series of X's. Mm-hmm. There's some things that look like almost like an upside down Y. There's there's some things going on around uh, in the middle section of that panel. It was known as Dighton Writing Rock by the earliest people. So I mean the flake, ah. you know. So mm-hmm. there must have been something to that for people yeah. to name it the Dighton Writing Rock. Because it was already it. on there, right? Yeah, right. it was there. And the thing is, I think there's some script. My take on Dighton Rock is that it might be in some kind of ancient. I don't want to say exact language or script, but in that pan-Mediterranean, you know, Iberic, it's in one, I think it's very ancient. I think Dighton Rock is much more ancient than 1511. Mm-hmm. It's way more ancient than that. Okay. Wow. And I think that there also is a, is a, there is a Native American component to it where you see things that look like faces and bodies. Mm-hmm. And I wish we had a close-up of it, but yeah. there's, 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 there's zoomorphic. There are animal figures on there. Things look almost like a deer. And it's mm-hmm. made in X-ray ray style. There are like lines and dots in it, almost like an Aboriginal. Wow. Style. So I think that um, I feel like the strongest original components are. It's probably a Native American thing that maybe some people later, mm-hmm. early visitors, maybe okay. Phoenicians or something of that ilk, put some script Additional on there too. Right, yeah. yeah, that's mm-hmm. you know. So I'm kind of doing two theories. I'm, I'm taking you know everyone wants to latch on to one theory. I kind of okay. think it's Native American plus there might be some early script. I don't think it's Norse. I don't think it's classic runes. Mm-hmm. I don't think it fits into that category. So you mentioned, he mentioned actually earlier something about trickster. You want to explain what that is? Well, there's a whole, we could do a whole show on that sometime too. But <laughs> well, <laughs> the reason is we are. Oh, yeah. yeah oh, my God. Oh, down, and, yeah. and just, we oh, have wow. another throw, another shout out from the uh, chat room. The woman was Cornelia, Cornelia Horsfit. I could not pull her last name out. Thank yes. you. Thank you whoever, whoever just submitted that. That is Thank the you. chat room. Cornelia Horsfit. <laughs> Excellent. Steven Scott. Thank you, Steven. Yes. Well, her father had money. I want to say he did something with baking soda or something. Mm-hmm. And so because he had a lot of money, he could do, indulge his hobbies. Wouldn't that be fun? Wins. And so he yeah. had this obsession with Leif Erikson on the Charles. Um, trickster stuff. We should, wow, I didn't realize what time it was. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm really fascinated by what I call trickster consciousness or the trickster archetype. Um, Carl Jung, you know, uh, neo-Freudian, um, you know, mm-hmm. all-around kind of interesting guy. Right. He wrote a lot about um, archetypes, and uh, and he gets a lot into the trickster. Now, tricksters, how do I sum it up kind of quickly? Um, a trickster is, in, in, in like mythology, is a figure that transcends boundaries, okay? But yet we have modern tricksters, too. Um, I think of all the way, a classic trickster would be Hermes or Mercury. Mm-hmm. Um, and he is a god of boundaries and crossroads and things like that. But... Um, these are people that can, well, let's think of the caduceus that Hermes holds, okay? You have um, a staff with wings on it, which indicates sort of flight, right? Mm-hmm. He can fly, and birds fly. Mm-hmm. So you have sort of an aerial component, and then you have snakes. A serpent, yeah. And snakes are sort of considered symbolically subterranean creatures. They come out of holes, they're sort of lowly, they touch the earth, they live on the earth. Mm-hmm. They're quite the opposite of a bird who can fly, mm-hmm. although there are gliding snakes. But... <laughs> symbolically, a bird and a snake are sort of like, and so to have them opposites, on a staff, yeah. it's the union of opposites. Mm-hmm. It's a duality that's combined, like a yin-yang symbol. Okay. And the trickster figure is something that sort of transcends that. Um, in Judeo-Christian thing, we really wouldn't have trickster figure because the trickster figure would basically be the devil. Because anything that's tricking, there are, there are gods that are good and bad, coming from where I, my personal religious background, say, uh, or people who come from a Judeo-Christian background. Um, 
to other parts of the world, they all have trickster gods. I mean, the Native Americans and, and the classic Greek mythology. And you go around the world, there's their trickster gods up the wazoo. There's a lot of them. <laughs> there's a lot of them. Um, but what I'm saying about modern trickster figures, something like Felix the Cat, I think almost like Bart Simpson kind of fits in that category, <laughs> maybe maybe Bugs Bunny. Um, sometimes they will um, go across gender. You know, you'll see, like, right. example, like Bugs Bunny will like dress up like a girl. Bugs yeah, Bunny, yeah. You know. Or um, but Hermes was like that. The the priests <laughs> the priests of Hermes in the Greek temples wore wore like breastplates to look hermaphroditic. And in fact, really? Hermaphrodite uh, is the son of Hermes and uh, Aphrodite. Aphrodite. Wow. Okay. Um, so there's a sort of um, uh, union of opposites, um, but trickster um, consciousness. It, like I said, I think of say the ufology. That poor guy who I think in the 50s who saw a saucer land, right? Mm-hmm. And he deals with the the uh, aliens who who have um, problems with the UFO or whatever. And he and he gets like this alien food like these cookies from the things. And, wow, God, wouldn't that be exciting, huh? I can prove to somebody that I actually dealt with the little beings, you know? <laughs> he gives it to, like, say, the Air Force. They analyze it. It's all stuff from the Earth. It's like flour, and mm-hmm. there isn't anything special, abnormal about it. It's stuff that I could get at Shaw's. Right, mm-hmm. right. So that's what I mean when I say tricks to consciousness. It rears its head in everything, psychology, ufology, your paranormal, um, your ghost hunting things. Mm-hmm. I, you know, that kind of thing, um, fringe archaeology. I mean, why don't we find a really good Viking site in, say, Maine? Well, some people say because the Vikings really weren't there. But I feel like it has to do with these little... It's almost like that the world sort of works on... The, the trickster consciousness is sort of reality, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. And like I said, I'm a good little Catholic boy. I'm probably not supposed to think like that. But, <laughs> but the more I... The more I study different things, I, I, the, the trickster thing. So I would um, encourage um, your viewers to look into trickster, um, you know, look up the trickster archetype on just start with maybe Wikipedia or look at kind of some Carl Jung books. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, it's, it's in a lot of folkloric type things, mythology. Um, and what I find interesting, we're talking about the cross-cultural things with the Vikings over here, like, mm-hmm. you know, is that when you look at um, trickster stuff, there'll be things like... There'll be a god in Africa, there'll be Hermes, and there'll be a god down with the Maya. And they all have the same attributes. They'll do cattle, crossroads, mm-hmm. doorways, red and black. You know, mm-hmm. the, it's all, And I'm like, is that just human consciousness? That, right. And why so many of the similar attributes? It's not just like an attribute or two. It's a wide range sometimes of things that they overlap on. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, and these are cultures that are separated by thousands and thousands yeah, of Yeah, but times. they could right. be just be tapping into the greater consciousness. And well, that's what, that's what the archetype yeah. is. Right, exactly. Yeah. That's what that Kyle Jung said, that, that collective the collective unconscious, the, yeah. the archetypes are. I mean, so maybe that's why it is. But it makes me feel like the phenomenon is maybe somewhat of a real phenomenon. I mean, that's the cool thing about what you do and what we do, too. And what it, I mean, Oak Island, I mean, I love that. It's a great story. Yeah. What's buried there yeah. could be anything from Shakespeare's works to Temple of Gold yeah, yeah. to, to uh, there was all kinds of stuff, actually. Yeah. yeah. Well, when you talk about trickster stuff, I mean, the thing floods. It has, I mean, it's yeah. as, it's as big as... So are we down to close to the end? Because yes, we, we are. never we really touched there. on if I could, I don't know if we're even going to get to it, but uh, this month is the um, is the centennial of uh, Orson Welles' birthday. He was born on May 6, oh, yeah. 1915. Yeah. Uh-huh. And of course, with the ufology and stuff, yeah. uh, you know, famous War of the Worlds War broadcast the Worlds. in yeah. 1938. Yep. And 
I don't know if it oh, would probably Orson. Be, yeah, there's Orson. There's Orson right there. Yeah. yeah. He ate himself to death. <laughs> or he ate himself. Unfortunately. Yeah. So I, <laughs> if I can do a little plug, yeah. I'm doing a talk next week. Yeah, sure. absolutely. Kingdom Public Library at, uh, I want to say it's at uh, 7 o'clock. Mm -hmm. They're going to show, they have a monthly film series over in Hingham. They're going to show F for Fake, Orson Welles' last completed film, 1974. Really? And Orson Welles was a magician. I don't know if you guys, he was a practicing mm. state. He had, no, I didn't He was in that. the International Brotherhood of Magicians yeah. Union and everything. He kept up his magic in case his film thing didn't work. went out the window. Yeah. And uh, But F for Fake touches upon a lot of trickster stuff. Uh, and of course, so does Orson Welles, really. The Mercury Theater on the air. I think we can take that picture down. War of the down Worlds. <laughs> and, uh, I like him. Yeah. As much as I like Orson, we can take him down. Do you know when I've been doing the research, everybody I talk to who's <laughs> under 30, every time I say... Orson Welles, they go, I think I had to read him in high school. <laughs> and I say, I think you mean H.G. Wells. But of course, there's the connection there with The War of the Worlds. That's true, yeah. And yeah. I found out in my research recently that uh, those two guys met in 1940 in Texas. Oh, and they were on the air together. Right, they right, met right. on a San Antonio radio station. Uh, they, they were interviewed together. Oh, hmm. that's but uh, Orson Welles, yeah. Um, I, uh, yeah, the, the movie is going to be around 7 o'clock. I think it starts at 7 o'clock next week. And there'll be a, you know, a short lecture afterwards, about 20 minutes. And... Um, and uh, I, I, it's funny because Orson Welles is doing basically Effort Fake is a film about a, um, a famous art forger who there's a guy making a biography of the forger. And mm -hmm. then Orson Welles, in making the movie, finds out that the biographer is a faker himself. Ah. But the biographer's claim to fame is that he met Howard Hughes and wrote this big biography of Howard Hughes. And during the process of making the film, it comes out that the guy was a liar, had never met <laughs> Howard Hughes. So Orson <laughs> Welles cool. does a whole film essay on the nature of truth and reality of art, it, it touches on so many different things. It's like, what is art and, and what is, you know, is something, you know, basically like truth and, re and lies, you know, mm -hmm. but and in the art world and in reality. So and when, when is this going to be? It's a week from now. It's uh, Wednesday the 20th, mm -hmm. 7 p.m., Hingham Public Library, and the movie they're going to show is F for Fake. They were going to show Citizen Kane, but we went, we went with F, F for Fake. <laughs> the last film he completed. And you got a UFO thing going on too, right? Yes, I do. Thank you for reminding me. Um, yeah, in Exeter, New Hampshire, this is the 50th year of the e Exeter. incident at Exeter. Ooh. Ooh. The incident at Exeter. So in September, um, go there's going to be a whole slew of real hardcore, like heavy names, like Stanton Friedman, uh, Richard Dolan, and, and some of the people in the... Um, in the ufological field, and uh, I'm actually, I just was talking to the guy, I'm going to do a talk, I'm not sure if I'm going to be in the main hall, there's going to be satellites, it's going to be all around town, it's a big year, it's a two-day event, not a one-day event, oh. it's I think the 5th and 6th, if I have the dates right, it's a Saturday, Sunday thing, and it's in Exeter, New Hampshire, downtown Exeter, the town hall, and um, my talk is going to be, actually I want to veer towards sort of the Carl Jung thing, the psychological, uh, Carl Jung wrote a book about UFOs, mm -hmm. wow. as modern myths seen in the sky, about psychological component of it, and so I'm going to try to go from that. Oh, angle that's a little pretty different. cool. Um, nice. So, excellent. And the other thing we didn't mention, Anne, is since we have last, I was on a couple of years ago with you, but we were both in the the yes. Bridgewater Triangle yep. movie. <coughs> and, uh, <laughs> and Ron was in it too. And Ron, I'm sorry. And, uh, inadvertently. <laughs> Don't give me that inadvertently. The three of us. I was, and uh, you noticed I was in the end of it because I was the big finish of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was the one that was chasing the girl down and beating her. That's that's, that's right. That's right. Active role, yes. <laughs> yes. But yes, for yeah. Dwight Triangle. Yeah. yeah. And the movie seems to be doing quite well. And still. It's, it's, yep. Still, it's, uh, yep. I actually had, just uh, saw Aaron Kaju. I just saw him yesterday. We had him yep. on the uh, I show. Did. Yes, he yep. was on the show. Um, and I know that it's still remaining popular and winning awards. And Good. Uh, yep. it's right in our backyard. Yeah. I, I actually mean, have a copy of it. Uh, good for you. Yeah, I do. Congratulations. Mm. <laughs> I actually well, watched it, too. 
I'm glad. Which is it, rare for me. It seems to be, uh, you know, like uh, I'm bumping into people who have seen it, or uh, yeah, a couple of friends of mine that didn't know I was in it, they just happened to be there, yeah. said to be. Yeah. Uh, you know, your voice came on, and I, uh, my buddy Greg said, I, you, I knew it was you before I saw you, you know. And, uh, <laughs> and, uh, That's funny. It, it's, it's, it was very exciting to be in that movie, and uh, I thank uh, Manny and Aaron and, uh, and Kristen Good, of course, for getting me involved from the start. Mm -hmm. And uh, yep. Yeah, there's so many, so many, yeah, it's, it's been fun, you know. Well, that's the Q&As awesome. are great afterwards. Sometimes I have real fun at those things, oh, yeah. the Q&As. Oh, well, people, it, uh, we showed it here at East Bridgewater High School, and it uh, was very well received. People loved it, and... Uh, it was a great, a great night, and I think that if you live in this area, you just so many people are like, "What? What? What's the Bridgewater Triangle? What is that?" And cool. uh, and and they see this movie, and and they're like, "Oh my! I never knew! I never knew!" Yeah. So. So I, I want to ask you one thing, and I know we're running out of time. Yep, is <laughs> you, you saw the Westford Night. What do you think about the relationship between the Westford Night, the Newport Tower? And the, uh, what's the other stone that's in the water? Narragansett Stone? Narragansett Rune Stone? Yeah. Okay. What's your, what's your thoughts on that? I don't know about the Narragansett Rune Stone in terms of being tied to the Westwood Knight. They, I mean, they have it with the hook decks and everything. Yeah, and the David, David decks, Brody yeah. And, and, and Scott yeah. Walter and, and, you know, Scott Walter. Um, I'm not sure about that. Um, I do think that the Newport Tower is related to the Westwood Knight. You do? Okay. I think the Newport Tower, the Westwood Knight, and the shipwreck off of Brent Rock are sort of my three things that I think... And, you know, the boat stone. It's um, funny you grab on that, that shipwreck because that's very, you know, not w well known. Oh, right? it's deep cut information. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's only in one book and it's on my website. And I haven't seen it. It might be in a few different websites now just because I think because I put it on mine, a few, it might be it's a little bit. funny how that works, huh? Yeah. Because yeah. I, 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 I noticed <laughs> on a different thing it said a shield as evidence yeah. for pre-contact. Yeah. But, um, but it's, not, um, it's not a well-known one, that shipwreck. Mm. And, and it's, like I said, it's a potential shipwreck. Um, well, there was, was a rudder sticking out of the sand. The shield has since grown, wing, grown wings ah. and disappeared, which would be a great piece of physical evidence. It seems to have... If it ever yeah. existed. Yeah. To wrap up, I'm sorry. I know, I could sit here and talk all night and listen to we all We need phase stories. two. got to get to Buckaroo to ghosties, long-leggedy beasties, and things that go bump in the night. Deliver us, good Lord.